this country today is a good old healing. Amen. I agree 100%. Hey, while you're turning, if you would, Ezekiel 37, uh, our children are uh, making their way to Children's Church. So, anybody, young folks like to go to Children's Church, Mr. Ray, Mr. Cole are coming this way. And what a nice group we got coming down the side aisle. Amen. I love youngins, don't you? If you got youngins, you got a tomorrow. There are no youngins, you don't have a tomorrow, so thank God for that. But while they're coming this way too, I also want to take a moment um, and just think a minute about Memorial Day. Memorial Day is the day where we set aside each year to honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice by giving their life for our freedom. And I am grateful to God, as I know you are, to number one, that he allowed me to be born in the greatest nation on the face of this earth. Amen. I really am, and I'm also grateful that so many have not only paved the way, but paid through their own blood sacrifice and through the giving of their life that we might enjoy the freedoms we do today. And then also what it reminds me of what Jesus did, because Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice to purchase eternal life. Amen? So we have uh, a great heritage as Americans those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to enjoy freedom on this side of the grave but thanks be to God for Jesus who gave us not only freedom now but we'll be free in eternity spending with him forever, amen but with that being said I want to take just a moment and for us as a body to honor what this day means and what tomorrow I know we got a lot of ideas about Memorial Day and I, I like barbecue and the smell of a grill going just like anybody else here in red-blooded Americans. But I believe we should always remember exactly why we celebrate this day. So would you join me in thanking God and thanking those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And would you join me in honoring them today for they did me. Thank you so much. Ezekiel chapter 37, on the front of your worship guide, there is uh, the words to the text we're going to read in just a moment. It's also on the screen. But I want to share with you, and believe it or not, this being the, well, the most popular chapter in the entire prophecy of Ezekiel, in 35 years I have yet to ever preach from this text. That's kind of something. I've read through it. I've studied it many times. And and discussed it over with brother, brothers and sisters but never directly and the Lord's really stirred my heart for this today and I pray it's going to help us as a body as we worship together Ezekiel 37 if you found your place and physically able stand with me honor and reverence to the reading of the word of God Ezekiel 37 and we're going to read verses 1, 2 and 3 but I would encourage you to keep your copy of God's word open as we discuss the entire context of these first 14 verses. We'll read together here verses 1 through 3. We're going to ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the word today. Here's what the word says. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, 
Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. I pray, God, that you would use me today to make known the unsearchable riches of your word and help dry bones to live again. Father, I pray your word accomplishes that which you sent it, prospers that which you please, and that lives are changed as a result here in the gospel of Jesus Christ today. In Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject of when dry bones live. The book of Ezekiel is one of the most interesting books of the Old Testament to me and the prophetic words and the many others, I'm sure, and along with the books of Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and, of course, the other one that Jeremiah wrote, the book of Lamentations, Ezekiel, along with these, is classified as a major prophet. Uh, these five books of Old Testament prophecy are distinguished from the other 12 books of Old Testament prophecy that we refer to as the book of the 12 or the minor prophets. That has nothing to do with the impact of their message. The major prophets are classified as major due to the fact that they're just much longer than the words of the minor prophets. Ezekiel was 25 years of age when he was taken into captivity in Babylon in 597 B.C. along with 10,000 other Jews. He began his prophetic ministry somewhat after that, possibly around the age of 30 as we can date it best. And he prophesied for approximately 22 years. He was a contemporary of other prophets such as Jeremiah and Daniel and he along with Jeremiah and Zechariah both were distinguished as not only being a prophet but a priest. He had plenty of priestly background in his life prior to his call to be a prophet. Just as Jeremiah was born to a family of priests, he honored the call of God to be a prophet. Uh, we find that Ezekiel was particularly interested and familiar with the temple details, but however, his ministry as a prophet was very important in delivering the message of God to these people who were in captivity. Now, chapter 37 is one of the most popular, if not the most popular, a very interesting chapter in the book of Ezekiel. Israel was in captivity, and they were not in captivity for just any reason. They were in captivity due to their own disobedience and rebellion. Their situation seemed somewhat hopeless, but the Lord had a word to deliver to them through the prophet. Whenever we find ourselves in hopeless situations, we can always count on the fact that God has a man and God has a word through that man. So he was doing this and we always need to remember that God's word, for, God does have a word for his people and when he does, he raises up those who are faithful and who will be obedient to deliver that message just as he said. God has a plan to restore hope to his people, resurrect his people and to reestablish them in their land. So as we walk through the text today, I want to make some observations and I, I want to share some things with you that I believe that God, that God has placed in my heart for the body of Christ and very specifically for this local body. I believe sometimes as pastors, yes, we can speak in general terms, but sometimes we've got to get real specific, amen? And talk in very clear, specific terms to the people that God 
has chosen to place us to lead and help follow him. As we walk through the text today, I read verses one through three, and if you'll notice with me, there'll be some things on the screen to help you as we walk through. The first thing we find is Ezekiel gives us a portrait of destruction. He begins to talk about this dry bone filled valley and how that the Lord caused him to be there and God was going to speak to him that he might speak to us in these ages past. A few Wednesday nights ago, I made a statement to those in attendance for Bible study that I had not planned on making. Uh, sometimes that happens, right? Because I realize that as a follower of Jesus and as a preacher of the gospel, it is very important that I make preparation. It's very important that I prayerfully invite God into that preparation process so that he might honor the presentation and proclamation of his word. But I also realize that I'm a soldier under command. I don't live for myself. I died when I surrendered to Jesus Christ. He has indwelt me. He is in charge of me. And if I will do as he leads me and, and I follow him faithfully, I realize regardless of what plans I've made, he may have some things he needs me to say that I'd rather not say, but they need to be said. Amen? So I said to our bunch here on Wednesday night, and I wanted to make sure that I said that to all of you because I really mean it and I believe it was a word from the Lord. But a few Wednesday nights ago I made this statement and the statement was concerning the mental, physical, and spiritual state of this church just five years ago when God graciously allowed me to come here to serve as your pastor. I said to you as a church family and I say to you today that five years ago this church was stuck. Amen? I mean, stuck in the mud now, but when you take that statement in, the first thing you're going to think, well, the preacher's throwing rocks at us. No, once again, remember this. This preacher doesn't throw rocks. I only throw ropes. And that statement is not an indictment against you personally. It's not an indictment against anyone who served in this capacity in the past. It's, not, it's just a product of the fact that sometimes what happens in churches is lethargy sets in, apathy arises, and when you go through long periods of time as you did two and a half years without pastoral leadership, then it's very easy to get stuck. Amen? And I said that to you because I believe it's important. Uh, we were not just talking about uh, just being stuck in general sense, but there was a whole lot of being stuck in where you'd been instead of where God was taking you. Well, let me help you with that. I also said this to y'all. As much as this church was stuck five years ago, I had to realize that so was I. And sometimes, pastors, we can get stuck. You know, it's not that we're doing anything illegal, immoral, or unethical, or sinful. We just get kind of stuck because I had served a church 10 years that I loved, loved, loved. I had been through a lot of battles and I took a lot of bullets and bites and arrow wounds and all sorts of stuff in the side and the hip and the back. I mean, I had literally laid down in the door of the sheepfold for that church and I'd been eaten by the wolf many times to protect the sheep. And that's okay because that's what we do. But you know, I maybe had gotten a little stuck myself because... Uh, even though I'd gone through those battles, I had to come to the realization that God had a purpose and a course for me to finish and that I had come to the end of that course 
and he had a new mountain he needed me to climb. Sometimes we are reluctant to climb new mountains because we like being stuck where we are. Amen? And, and you may be here today, God's got mountains for you to climb, but you're kind of comfortable where you are. So how do we get stuck? Well, we get stuck because we're humans and we are naturally drawn to comfort zones. I've got a chair in my living room that's pretty comfortable. And when I've worked through the day and I've done my duties and I come home in the evening and I get cleaned up, I like to sit in that chair and watch me a little Hill Street Blues reruns or, or a little In the Heat of the Night, some real spiritual shows, right? And I like to watch some of that kind of stuff because uh, it helps me relax, Key. I might even watch Sanford and Son if I get real wild, amen? So anyhow, I'm hanging in. So we enjoy comfort zones because it's where we rest and relax, and it's okay to rest. You need to do that. I need to do more of that. It's okay to relax. I certainly need to do more of that. But there's a danger in getting in a zone of comfort to where you get stuck and you no longer hear or are compelled by the voice of God. That's where this church was. This church was ready to die. And I want you to know as a preacher, I was stuck and God had a new mountain for me to climb. And I want you to know, he flat shook me out of my comfort zone. Amen? Uh, whatever comfort zone I was in, he took me out of that. See, we love those comfort zones. And when we get in those zones, our passion dissipates. Spiritual apathy ensues. And God has to do something radical in our lives to shake us from the comfort zone and move us to the growth zone. And we're not going to just jump out of the comfort zone on our own. We're not going to jump into the growth zone on our own. Sometimes God has to shake us and quake us and motivate us a little bit to get us unstuck. See, even though this passage concerns the state of Israel, I really believe that God has a word for his church today. Years ago, when I was a student at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, I had a wonderful professor who talked to us one week, and he made this statement. He had in the question. He said, boys, do you believe that a church, even when it is old, that it can be born again? I looked out there. What does that say? 1882 out there, Glenn? That was when Jimmy Bragg was just a little bitty boy, okay? All right, yeah, all right. 1882, Jimmy and Clara were in the first Sunday school class. But anyway, no. <laughs> See, y'all are listening, right? We would be classified as an old church. But I still believe that an old church can get a new vision. And an old church can be born again, can be born from above. There's a lot of talk about revitalization in our convention today. And can I say to you, that revitalization can and will happen when people hear and heed the voice of God and get behind their leadership and get in altars of prayer and literally shake the gates of heaven. I believe, friend, that revitalization, rebirth, and revival will come to any church that will seek God in that fashion. See, I've always found it interesting to believe that God took Ezekiel into a valley to meet with him. Y'all ever met him down in the valley? Oh, yeah. 
See, the Hebrew word for valley is the same that is translated plain in chapter 3 and chapter 8. See, when you get in the valley, the reason you can see God so clearly is you can't look any further down. You've got to look up. Amen? This word is also used to describe a broad stretch of land where Ezekiel would be in the presence of God. And on each of these occasions, chapter 3, chapter 8, and chapter 37, when the prophet obeyed the voice of God, he was in a place of solitude and he would see the glory of the Lord with such majesty that he would fall on his face. Friend, today as we walk through this text, I pray that the glory of the Lord would be so real and so powerful in this place today that we could not leave here without falling on our face and saying that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has a plan to get his people out of the valley. God has a plan to breathe life into dry bones so they can live again. Well, there's just something about what it's like when you encounter the Lord in solitude and you experience his glory. But this trip to the valley was a little different than any encounter that Ezekiel had ever had. Follow me with, you, with me if you will. The first thing he had to do was a personal inspection. The scene in front of Ezekiel has been described as the ultimate death valley. And no, I'm not talking about Clemson or certainly not Alexandria. How about that? All right. But what he sees standing in front of him is a stark contrast to what we read in chapter 36. In chapter 36, he sees fruitful trees. He sees thriving vegetations. And now he only sees a valley of dry bones. You need to understand about this significance of this vision. I learned from Wiersbe that it was humiliating for the body of a dead Jew to, be, uh, to not be washed, wrapped, and buried with dignity in a grave or tomb. These bodies were left on the battlefield to become food for the vultures to eat and objects for the sun to bleach. But the Lord had warned Israel in the covenant he made with them that sins would lead to just this kind of a shameful experience. What's Dr. Warriors referring to? He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Jeremiah chapter 34 where he warned that their bodies would be meat for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. He told them if you rebel against the word of God, this will be your fate. Friend, can I tell you in God bless America today for the church, if we continue to walk in rebellion against the spoken and written word of God and in rebellion to the moving of the spirit of God, we could expect the same fate. He also not only had a personal inspection, but verse 3, there was a puzzling inquiry. What did he say? He said, Zeke, hey, Zeke, uh, can these bones live? Zeke, do you think there's any hope for these dead, dry, and dusty bones? God did what he does to Ezekiel, what he does to us sometimes, because he wants us to carefully assess the true potential of difficult situations we encounter. I remember coming to this church and I remember walking into my office and I remember putting my head on my desk and I remember any time saying, God, look here, I know with all of my heart that this is a situation we've got to assess from a spiritual standpoint. This is a difficult thing, but I believe you have the answer. So as God challenged Ezekiel to carefully evaluate the situation, here's what Ezekiel did. 
Ezekiel didn't say, oh yeah, Lord, they can do it. Yep, you just put me out there. Just let me preach. Yeah, boy, I'll get these bones. You know what Ezekiel said? He said, Lord, only you know whether they can live again or not. You know what he realized? He realized that the scene before him was so overwhelming that the problem was bigger than him. Woo! He had no answer. No answer at all but to remember that only God had the answer to whether the bones could live again or not. Can I say this to you today? Only God has the answer to how alive we can be for his glory. How do we respond when our problems are bigger than us? How do we respond when we don't have an answer? We just take a lesson out of Ezekiel's book here and just realize that we don't have the answer but God does. We don't have the power, but God does. And we can trust him to be faithful regardless of what's ahead. A portrait of destruction. But notice the second thing with me, if you will, verse four and following. He gives us a powerful description. Ezekiel, I told you he's in the valley. He don't have anywhere to look but up. He has assessed the situation. He's confessed that only God has the answer to whether these bones can live again or not. So is there a solution? Will God bring new life? And my answer to you today is absolutely. And he is going to do it in a way that is just amazing. You know what he's going to do? He's going to use his man, his word, and his power to accomplish something extraordinary. I believe that. So what do we see there? Powerful description, two things. First thing we see is them dry bones. In verse eight, he begins to talk about these dry bones and in verses four, five, and six, he gives us the game plan. He said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Boy, don't you like that game plan? You know what he's saying to Ezekiel? I've got a plan. All you got to do is follow. Ezekiel was commanded to simply do something that we have to do. He was simply commanded to declare the word of God to these lifeless, dry bones. And you say, now wait a minute, preacher. Why was the proclaiming of the word of God necessary? The same reason it's necessary today. I'm like old brother Adrian Rogers used to say, I still believe there's a place in worship where the man of God takes the word of God and he opens it before the people of God and the house of God and he preaches it for the glory of God. Amen? I believe that. Yeah, look here, we can go back to Scripture and understand why it's so necessary. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says that it is the word that brings life. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible tells us that the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts on the way in, cuts on the way out. It cuts the deepest recesses of the human hearts, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. The word of God is so different than any other kind of sword this world has to offer you can take a physical sword you can stab the heart of a living man and make him dead but I want you to know the spiritual sword the word of God when you stab the heart of a dead man with it it makes him alive God help us today yes it's necessary 
Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Every one of you today that have named the name of Christ and trusted Christ as Savior have done so because you heard and responded to the word of God. <laughs> it's necessary. People today, I just don't know if preaching is really all that necessary. You preachers just need to calm down a little bit. I think we've calmed down too much. I think we took it, we've, we, we, we've just tried to make things so easy. And I want you to know following Jesus is not a life of ease and comfort. It's a life of commitment and surrender. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when God bids a man, he bids him to come and die. We've took that out. We don't think that's necessary anymore. But you die to yourself so you can live for his glory. Here's what God promises in verse 5 and 6. He promises what will happen when Ezekiel spoke the word. You know what he was saying, Ezekiel, when you declare the word, it's going to make a difference. We talked about it in Sunday school. My Sunday school teacher, Brother Mark, taught us this morning something that was a great reminder to me. We have no control over the response, but we have been called and commissioned to scatter the seed. In a little while, we'll give a gospel invitation, and I will plead with you if you don't know Jesus to get saved today and give your heart to Jesus and become a born-again follower of Christ. If you're a child of God and you're walking out of fellowship with God and you got to get some things right in your heart, I will plead with you to get them right with God today. As a church, I will plead with you that God would make these dry bones live, but I have no control over the response. But I'm flat going to scatter some seed, amen? I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to apologize for scattering the seed. God promised right there, he said, listen, when you speak the word, something's going to happen. Them bones going to come together. I'm going to put some tendons and ligaments on them. I'm going to cover them with skin. And I want you to hear me today, whether you're in person or watching online. Hear me today, whether you are a leader or a teacher or a pastor or, or love you, pastor, and I hope all of you do. Here's the thing. Sometimes it's easy to get discouraged when you feel like you're speaking the word to a valley of dry bones that refuses to respond. Uh, hear me. I've been there over the years and I understand God's never sent me to a church that was experiencing revival. We always started down there and boy, but you know what though? It's really something when you see the bones come to life and God start to stir and do something awesome. I wouldn't take nothing for it. God told me one time, said, Brent, ain't nothing wrong. Take that church when it's at the bottom because you can't make it no worse. <laughs> That's some nice words, amen. He had some confidence in me, right? But it's easy to get discouraged when you're speaking the word and, and folks just refuse to live, but I want you to hear me. If you're teaching Sunday school, keep on speaking. Keep on proclaiming to them dry bones. Oh, listen, singers, sometimes you up here singing songs that ought to make the angels shout, and you look out here and you got a face full of muddy grubs, right? Oh, hear me. You'll look sometimes and say, I'm just not doing any good. It must not be making any difference. You just keep on singing. 
Keep on teaching. Keep on preaching. Keep on singing. Keep on doing what you have to do. Then the words of that great hymn by Journey, don't stop believing. Amen? Whatever you do, don't stop believing. Don't stop doing what God has called you to do. Even though it may look like nothing is happening on the surface, he's working behind the scenes. He's changing lives and he's going to bring glory to the Son of God. I bet y'all wish how to preach last week. Amen? <laughs> y'all say, Lord, don't let him have another day off. I don't know if I can take this. <laughs> and speaking of that, my, my brother Ray, he's in children's church. I listened to the sermon last Sunday evening. What a wonderful word. I mean, I've known Ray 30 years and always humble. What a, what a heart. I want to help people. It just meant so much to me. Challenged my heart. I don't know about you. Most people, when they listen to preaching, they listen to it with a critical ear. I didn't like his delivery. He sweats a little much for me. <laughs> Do you know? I don't. I want you to know. God has a Hebrew word for that kind of attitude. It's called baloney. it's not about that I listen to preaching because I want God to take that word and change my heart amen I want God to take the word however the personality of the preacher whether he whispers or whether he shouts whether he sweats or whether he's freezing to death I don't know I've never been cold in preaching I, I sweat I do just means I'm well hydrated dry bones but you know what there's something else we can't miss. Notice the last words of verse 8. There was no breath in them. It wasn't just the dry bones, but he also got a picture of what it looks like when there's some divine breath. Ezekiel had done what he was commanded to do. And now God had to do one more thing. There was something missing. He knew that only God could supply the breath that was necessary to bring complete life to these dry bones. Tony Evans said there was a body and a form. There was potential movement and action and responsiveness, but yet there was still no actual life in these bones. In other words, they appeared to be alive but they weren't. Do you know today there are many churches that have the appearance that they're alive, but they're really not. You can go out front and it can say Heflin Baptist Church doesn't mean we're alive. You, you can come into this worship center and you can see musical instruments, you can see stained glass windows, you can see all these microphones and all of this stuff, and you can look around and say, man, that looks, no, no, doesn't mean we're alive. You can say, wait, we've got lots of activities. We've got vacation Bible school. No, that doesn't mean we're alive. You can say, wait a minute, uh, there's, uh, there's money in the bank. That doesn't mean we're alive. There is no life in a person or a church unless God breathes life into them. None of those things make us alive. In the, in the creation account in Genesis 
When he, God created Adam, the Bible says that God breathed life into his, breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. At the beginning of life, it was God who breathed life into you. God gave life to the first man. God gave life to the church. The day of Pentecost, them 120 people have been praying for 10 days. They didn't have anything on their mind but seeking the will of God and praying for the comforter to come. For 10 days, 120 people prayed. And then God swept into the upper room in the person of the Holy Spirit. It was God who breathed life into the first century church. It was God who empowered Peter to preach with power. It was God who drew 3,000 people to salvation. It was God that gave life to that church. Can I say this to you today? It was also the same breath and spirit that went into that church was the one that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit of God, and God is standing ready to breathe new life into his church in the 21st century if we will only call upon him to make these dry bones live. God help us. I want you to know something. We need the breath of God on the church today because what we've got ahead of us only God knows. But I can assure you there will be challenges to your religious liberty even right here in God blessed America that will challenge you, challenge your family, challenge your friends and without the spirit of God living and operating powerfully in our lives we are no match for the devil. Let me just talk for a minute and I'm almost done. Let me talk about how disobedience leads to distance and culminates in dryness. The reason that a lot of people were like a valley full of parched bones was because of disobedience that had created distance and culminated in dryness. They had rebelled against God and became estranged from him and now they were removed from fellowship with him and during this time of removal they had inevitably dried up. Same is true for us today. When a Christian becomes disobedient, they'll get distant. Amen. They'll get distant from the word of God, from the people of God, the house of God, and anything that reminds them of God because they don't want to be convicted of their disobedience, so they get distant. But I want you to know disobedience does create that distance, but distance also creates dryness. And if you're dry today, I want you to know it's because you're distant. You started out being disobedient, you got distant, now you're dry. Oh, I want you to know if you are there, that's why. And, and I believe with all of my heart that's important. Disobedience inevitably brings disconnection between us and God, and disconnection always has a detrimental impact upon our spiritual life and passion. It's just like Tony Evans explained. The closest planet to the sun is Mercury. It's the hottest. The furthest is Pluto, if it's still a planet. I think they said a while back it may not even be out there. I don't know. But it's so far away from the sun, it's the coldest. And most people, they like that. And the distance from the sun, S-U-N, determines their spiritual temp. Well, I believe today that for Christians, your distance from the sun, S-O-N, will determine your spiritual temperature. 
Most of us, we don't want to be on Mercury because, man, God might call us to do something pretty radical. We, we don't want to be out there at Pluto because we don't want to be that far removed from God's hand and power and presence. So we just like to get somewhere like Earth where it's comfortable, right? We can just kind of cruise around the sun, 72 degrees, and kick on the air conditioner when it gets a little hot, turn on the heat when it gets a little cold. We like Earth. We like to be lukewarm. I want you to know today, friends, far too many of us are too satisfied with a long-distance relationship with the Lord. I believe all of my heart we need, to, we need to visit that. I want you to notice again with me. Notice what happens in verse 10 when the word is declared and the breath of God comes upon those dry bones. He says, so I prophesy as he commanded and the breath came into them and they lived. Wait a minute, there's life now. They're no longer just dead skin, dead bones. There's some life, they lived. And what happened when they lived? They stood up, they got on their feet and they were a exceedingly great army. Oh friend, get in the story with me if you will, all right? Let's jump in the storybook for a minute. Just a little while ago, what was Zeke doing? Zeke was looking at a valley full of dead, dry, dusty bones, but he was in the presence of God. He was sitting there with all these people and he was evaluating and God said, can they live? He said, only you know. And now he's beholding a mighty host of living, breathing soldiers ready to enter the arena of battle in the name of the Lord. Oh, I'm on the battlefield. For my Lord, for my Lord. Anybody with me? Oh, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I promised him that I would serve him till I die. Oh, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. Oh, friends, hear me today. Any army of Christian soldiers not only has the ability to defend the faith or the faithful, we can also have an eternal influence and impact on those around us. Francis Chan said this. He said, Scripture teaches that our influence on the world is directly tied to the unity we display. Those bones came together as God directed. Those ligaments and tendons came together as God put them there. The skin covered, the breath went into the body as God did. And he didn't do that just to show Ezekiel something awesome. He wanted him to see not only that he would bring new birth and new life to his people in captivity, but in 21st century America, we need to realize that he wants to build that same kind of army with us. Notice with me finally. A promise of deliverance, verses 11 through 14. You notice he goes on. He begins to talk to them a little deeper. He says, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from my graves. 
I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it. And appeared, said, and performed it, says the Lord. Two things. He promised complete restoration. In their despair, God has had his eye not on their yesterdays, but on their tomorrows. I'll say this to you. You know how churches get stuck again? It's when you focus on yesterday more than tomorrow. If there's one thing God has really burdened my heart and I've really tried to lead you to do, and, and, and I want to tell you I am grateful to God for so many who have embraced this vision. I have really tried to get you to get your eyes off yesterday and start looking toward tomorrow. Do not worry about whether everything makes me comfortable and fat, happy and sassy, but whether or not we are accomplishing great commission work by touching the world for Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And I believe with all of my heart that's what he's saying to Israel. He's saying, listen, I've got my eye on your tomorrows because I want you to know there's coming a day when your heart's going to get right and you're going to live again. And I want you to know I've got the ability to make these dry bones live. There was not just complete restoration, but finally there was confident realization. Here's what God said. He said, I'm going to open up your graves. I'm going to bring you home. <laughs> you say, wait a minute, preacher. He's talking about Israel again now. And I know in context he is. I'm not, I understand context. He's saying, I'm going to bring you back to what you lost I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to open your graves up you're going to live again well I read something in the New Testament that Paul wrote he said for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout the voice of the archangel the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first he's going to open some graves kids he's going to open some graves guys the dead in Christ shall rise first then we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall be caught up in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord hey I got some news for the dry bone church today if we'll let him put his hands on us, if we'll heed his word and let him breathe his breath into us. Not only will he use us and make us an army to touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh, he's going to open up them graves. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. <laughs> I've been out there to the graveyard before. And I've been to a whole bunch of funerals in 35 years. And I've seen them when the grave is closed and the vault shut and they've turned them cranks down on and got all the air out of them and sealed them up real good. Well, I've walked away from a bunch of them graves saying, that ain't gonna hold that body down. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. If we let him put his hands on us, and we let him mold us and let him breathe his life into us and we heed his word. He make us live. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a dusty, dry, boned up old Baptist. 
Because thank God Jesus got to me. He's more to me than being a Baptist is. I mean, I thank God I'm a Baptist. Somebody said, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? I said, I reckon I'd be ashamed. Yeah, but I, no, I'm just kidding, all right? <laughs> Y'all, easy. <laughs> no, no. But he's going to open our grave. We're going to live again. Well, what about on this side? some of you and I'm talking to you the spiritual you're already in a grave you're just existing you know what that ain't God's will for you and that ain't God's will for this church and I know ain't ain't a good word but I say it because I'm not real sharp but anyhow look here but I want you to hear me it isn't God's will for his people to be satisfied with being dusty and dry bones. It's his will for you to heed his word. Let him put his hands on you and breathe his life into you. Church, I really believe he's doing that. We just come through about 15 months of pandemic. We still don't know what's out there. We don't know what's next. one thing he taught me this year is that he knows what's next and I don't but I know what he wants for his people as for his people to be alive not just a name that says you're alive but real life pray with me Father in Jesus name want to thank you for your word today Father I don't know what needs are out here today and Father as I prepare to speak today I, you know the human side of me that struggles struggles with so many things but Lord I struggle with making sure that I'd be faithful and I plead with your people to hear your voice all God called Ezekiel to do was just go proclaim the word and then God was the one who did the rest Father remind me today that just being faithful to proclaim is the pathway for you to do your perfect work Father today help us to not just have a name or appearance that we're alive but God would you continue to breathe life into our old dusty dry bones Father don't let me get comfortable don't let me get satisfied don't let me get complacent and, and God I pray that you would not let your people do that shake us stir us that we might be stirred Heads about eyes are closed. Here's the invitation. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if God has spoken to your heart today, don't you let the devil or anybody else cheat you out of getting right with him. We stand and sing. Here's the invitation. If you've never trusted Jesus, you'd like to 
become his child today. Become You feel he's spoken to you, made you aware you're a sinner, and you want to come get right with God today. You want to confess your sin and be, be his child. Repent. I would, I would plead with you to come. I'll be here to receive you. I'll help you and your eternal destination is more important than anything. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you've got a little distant. Your distance is because you got a little disobedient. You didn't really want to acknowledge it. Hope nobody noticed, which really doesn't matter, but we worry about that stuff far more than God does. And then you got distant. Maybe you're in danger of getting dry. I plead with you to come find you a place in the altar today and say, oh God, I'm distant. I don't want to get dry. Draw me back under the shadow of your wing. If you're a Christian today and you don't have a church home, you'd say this is a place God have me to serve. Me and my family, we welcome you to follow the Lord's direction for your life. Whatever it is God leads you to do today, church, let's don't be satisfied with being dusty dry bones. Let's ask him to breathe new life and that that life would be evident to all those around us. Father, in Jesus' name, may this invitation honor you. May lives be radically changed for your glory. And God, will you please keep breathing new life into this church. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet. Marty's going to lead us in the very first word, the very first verse. I plead with you to come to Jesus. Marty, lead when you're ready. You come. Oh, soul are you. Oh, God.
since I was about four or five years old when his mama and Brenda's mama were our uh, uh, kindergarten teachers. I tell you, star student right here, class of 77. All right, yeah, no, there you go. No, I, I was a star, all right. They didn't forget me, I guarantee you that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Ted has uh, just been a friend of mine a long time, serving here, serving here as a deacon. And one of our deacons, they, they're special to me. Don't you know that? I love all of y'all. There's nothing you can do about it. But these guys have been with me, supported me, and have rode a lot of miles with me, and a lot of things nobody even knows about. We don't get up here and say, look what all we did this week, because there's enough people say, he don't do nothing but one hour a week. You know, I, I, I'm way past that. But these guys know better, and when they, when they need prayer and help, I'm going to be there for them, and I'm going to ask you as church to do that. Ted's got some tests coming up. They're very serious, and... And he's really concerned about it. Y'all know Ted, he's usually always up to over here. I can tell you he's concerned, yeah. but 
I just wanted him to know today his pastor loves him praying for him and this church and I want to call this church to pray for him this coming week because I know how much that would mean to him and I just did I want you to know I love you buddy God bless you hey but as we close out today let's pray for Ted uh, uh, man he's just been like I said a dear friend a long time and I just can't enjoy being able to serve with him but church family would you bow with me let's just pray for Ted Father in Jesus name you know how much I love Ted Bean and Father, I'm grateful he loves me back. And, and Father, I just want to let it, just lift him up to you today. Uh, he and I and Brother Bobby talked this week. And we talked about, you know, so many different things. But we know you're in charge. And we just lift up our brother to you today as a church family. You, you told us in your word that we're to confess our faults one to another, pray one for another, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're just calling on you to touch our brother today, touch his family. And God, may he just know that you love him. Uh, God, that your presence is real and that he has a church family. It's just lifting him up today, unashamed uh, to just call on your name for his sake. And God, I just pray you just be willing to be with his doctors and all that will provide care. We're just trusting for great results. And God, for your name to be glorified in Jesus' name. I'm going to walk out with you, okay? Uh, okay. So, okay? Let's stand together, church family. Me and old Ted are going to walk in the back. And, and uh, hey, don't forget I love you. There ain't a thing you knew about it. Amen. Sing us out, Marty.